Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Twenty-five years ago, the Belfast Agreement brought peace to Northern Ireland. But the agreement did little to address the legacy of violence that the Troubles left behind. Well, I've always believed that my brother was murdered. A child was murdered in, in his own hometown. I want to see the individual who shot my brother stand up in a court of law and justify what he did because there is no justification for shooting dead a child. It wasn't until 2014 that a deal was struck, the Stormont House Agreement, that committed to new initiatives around legacy cases. The deal included an historical investigations unit that would examine unsolved murders carried out on both sides during the Troubles. But last week, the UK Parliament voted to renege on that agreement. Instead, the Northern Ireland Legacy Bill offers amnesty to those accused of killings. For families of victims, it's a betrayal. I think hope died the day that that legislation was signed off for a lot of victims out here. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the Northern Ireland Legacy Bill. Will alleged perpetrators be allowed to get away with murder? I speak to Emmett McConaughey, whose brother Stephen was killed in the Troubles, and Irish Times Northern editor Freya McClemens. Freya, can you sum up this story, this legacy bill, in one sentence? Well, that's that's quite the challenge. <laughs> I'm already using up my one one sentence allocation at this stage. But basically, this legacy bill that's being brought forward by the UK government, it's hugely controversial. The idea from the UK government's point of view is that this will, as they say, draw a line under the troubles. It passed its final legal hurdle in the House of Commons last week, which means it, it'll become law shortly, despite widespread and in fact almost universal opposition. Um, but as I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss, um, there, there's still a way to go on this yet. OK, what is it? What is the legacy bill? If it becomes law, what effect will it have? So the Legacy Bill, we tend to talk about it in the shorthand as the Legacy Bill. Its full title is the Northern Ireland Troubles Legacy and Reconciliation Bill. And basically, it's a complete change in how the UK government deals with Troubles era cases. So current methods of addressing cases through the judicial system. So we have criminal investigations, you would have civil cases, you have inquests. These will be stopped. And to give one example, in terms of inquests, around 80 of these have been ordered and they just simply aren't going to complete by the cutoff date next year. So they just aren't going to happen. So what had been happening will stop and this will be replaced with inquiries which are carried out by a new body set up um, under this new legislation which is called the Independent Commission for Reconciliation and Information Recovery, ICRIR. And it has the power, and this is one of the really controversial bits, it has the power to offer 
conditional amnesties for perpetrators who are deemed to have cooperated with their inquiries. So rather than criminal proceedings, the ICRIR's focus will be on information recovery. It will carry out reviews of deaths and other what they describe as harmful conduct caused by the Troubles and produce reports on its findings. Now this body is already actually in the process of being set up. Sir Declan Morgan's been appointed as its head. We've already seen the first of these but we know that there will be legal challenges and the expectation would be these will need to work through before we see the final shape of it. And it's also worth stating that many families just simply won't engage with this. So this is going to limit anything that it might do. Now, the bill has been in the works for several years now. And for several years, it's been opposed by nearly everyone. There's unity in the North in opposition to it. It's been opposed by the Irish government, by unionists, Republicans in the North, by the Labour Party in the UK, look, by everyone except the Conservative Party-led UK government. And it's important to say Conservative Party-led UK government in this. So why has the Tory UK government gone through with this, pushed it through? Yeah, I I mean, it's remarkable, actually, the the extent of of the opposition to this and just how universal this opposition is. And and as you've referred to, I mean, the UK government, the Conservative UK government has been very determined to press on with this, despite this almost universal opposition. Um, And I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll go through who opposes it and why in a minute. But the, the shorter list is, you know, who supports it? Let's be very clear here. The only people supporting it are the Conservative government in the UK and, and veterans. And that last group is key because this was an election manifesto pledge by the Conservatives to veterans before the last UK general election. And the broader background to this, if you like, it's very much motivated by that lurching to the right that we've seen in the Conservative government post-Brexit and under Boris Johnson. So in in 2020, the UK government signalled that it wanted to move away from the method for addressing the legacy of the Troubles that was agreed by the UK and the Irish governments at Stormont House in 2015. And and you'll see, just as a bit of an aside, that the UK government now talks about how well, that wasn't supported by, by everybody. This was an internationally binding agreement that was agreed between the UK and the Irish governments in 2015. And the UK government has unilaterally walked away from this. And and at the time in 2020, it said, the UK government said that the aim was to end the cycle of reinvestigations that has failed victims and veterans for so long. So you have victims and veterans put in the same sentence there and also this claim about the cycle of reinvestigations. So just to unpick that for a moment, the facts don't back this up, not least because there were no effective investigations in so many Troubles era killings, killing after killing. Um, And also this idea that there was some sort of a witch hunt against British soldiers just isn't true. You know, there's only ever been a handful of, of prosecutions. So what's the motivation? The motivation is about fulfilling this manifesto pledge. It's about the protection of British soldiers and it's also about British intelligence secrets. There is much that the UK government and MI5 and so on do not want to come out about what happened in in Northern Ireland. And it's interesting that that language about the cycle of reinvestigations and that putting of veterans alongside victims has been dropped in a lot of the, the, the commentary by the UK government on this. And just to give the UK government side of things for, for a moment, I mean, it consistently argues that this is about providing better outcomes and more information for families. And the Northern Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, spoke in Oxford about this a couple of weekends ago and, and I was there and he said he was acutely aware that the bill contains difficult and finely balanced choices and that, frankly, others might have taken a different path. He said the bill is not perfect. No attempt to redress the legacy of the Troubles ever could be. 
but it does now present us with a real opportunity to deliver greater information, accountability and acknowledgement to victims and, and families. I mean, certainly the case that I think everybody would agree no attempt to redress the legacy of the Troubles is ever going to be perfect. But I'm sure we're going to talk about this. You know, the fact that this has been overwhelmingly rejected by victims, by survivors, by, by, by the families of those who, who were killed um, and, and, and on and on and on and on. Um, you know, th- this <laughs> certainly does not seem to be the thing that will achieve that redress. What has the reaction been from politicians, uh, from the victims of the alleged crimes, specifically the, the victims for whom the perpetrators will get an amnesty? Yeah, um, and I suppose the victims and survivors, relatives of those who were killed, I mean, they, they have been um, the strongest, um, as you would expect, in terms of speaking out about this. 16th of April 1982, Stephen um, went out to play. Emmett McConomy remembers the day his brother, 11-year-old Stephen, was shot dead on Fawhan Street in Derry's Bogside. Emmett says that the neighbourhood was peaceful that day, but a British Army Saracen, that's an armoured vehicle, was in the area, responding to a security alert. Stephen, along with some of his wee friends, obviously attracted to a big army vehicle, um, were playing in and around it. Inside the Saracen, one of the soldiers made a decision. He took the plastic bullet gun off, off the designated gunner. He leant over the driver, opened the hatch, put the plastic bullet gun out through the hatch, and Stephen was beside the Saracen within practically touching distance, um, and he discharged the weapon, which struck Stephen in the back of the head. Um, it, it propelled Stephen down the street, where he lay face down in the grass. While Stephen lay motionless on the grass, uh, a number of, of young fellows who were at the, at the very bottom of Fawn Street run up after seeing a child been shot and, and tried to come to the Stephen's aid. The soldiers within the Saracen basically warned them that if they went anywhere near Stephen that they too would be shot. So they, they left Stephen lying face down bleeding profusely from the back of his head. Eventually Stephen was brought to hospital, but it was too late. Mum very young at the time, was 29 years of age. Stephen was her, her eldest child, uh, my older brother. Um, Mum had to agree to um, switch the life support machine off and, and say goodbye to her eldest son, which, which she did on the 19th of April, 1982. The British government says that the Legacy Bill will draw a line under events like that absolutely tragic event that happened in your family, but we'll draw a line under events in the Troubles. But that's not how you see it. Oh, absolutely not. And and I don't believe that the British government has the right to draw a line onto the past, considering for the past for the past 30 or 40 years, they have been the blockages to, to truth recovery and to justice. Um, let's, let's be absolutely clear about this. Victims and victims' families have campaigned tirelessly for 30 or 40 years to get the answers of of what happened to their loved ones. Victims' families have never blocked access to truth. It it has always been systematically the the MOD, the RUC, the Chief Constable, who have been the barriers to to truth and recovery here in this island. There has never been a, a victim's family threatened with contempt of court for withholding information or not complying with inquiries. Victims' families have systematically done everything humanly possible 
to to achieve answers of what happened to their loved ones. And and in many cases, it's it's to just dispel the untruths that were spoken about at the time. And and in Stephen's case, Stephen was classified as the youth. In in the, in the press statements, a youth was shot in there. I knew he was not a youth. He was a child. He was a child who was gunned down in his own hometown by by a well trained military person um, who who ended Stephen's life. Stephen was of no threat to nobody, like many, many victims out there of state violence, absolutely no threat whatsoever. That's where families are coming from. And, and, and for years, families engaged in every process that was ever presented to us. And, the, and that's hope, and that's the only thing that's kept families going, is, is the hope that one day the truth would come out, the hope that justice would, would prevail. Um, and those people who, who murdered our loved ones are held accountable. Um, and in a just society, that's that's what we've always believed in. But with, with, with this current legislation now, I think hope died the day that that legislation was signed off for a lot of victims out here. You say you want the record corrected of what happened on the day, for the truth of what happened on the day to to emerge and be corrected. Um, but what about justice? What did you hope would happen? Well, I've always believed that my brother was murdered. A child was murdered in, in his own hometown. The person who murdered Stephen should be held accountable. Now, we 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 as a society signed up to the Good Friday Agreement and, and we, we signed up to it with open eyes and we all knew that anyone convicted of historical um, murders within the conflict may serve a maximum of two years. And you know what? That was a hard pill for, for victims to swallow, but we did it with grace and we swallowed that. And now the British government are going to run run wild over the top of the Good Friday Agreement, throw that in the bin, and now give a blanket am- amnesty to absolutely everyone, any perpetrator, regardless of their background or who, who or what organisation they're a part of, now face no consequences whatsoever for their actions. I think it's, it's, it's a shameful act. It's a shameful legacy, Bill. And it does not create a feeling of, of, of healing. It is divisive um, and it adds further trauma to, let's be honest, already traumatized community. Justice is the only outcome um, that I want to see. I want to see the individual who shot my brother stand up in a court of law and justify what he did because there is no justification for shooting dead a child. And I believe, and I personally believe this strongly, is that he should serve time in prison. What are your next steps? We, we can only look to the international community and, and to the Republic uh, government. They, they have an onus here as, as co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement to stand up to the British government. To, let's, let's be honest, it's about time the Irish government took this and, and, and worked with victims across this island to undo this legislation. It is unjust, it's unjustifiable, it is cruel. Other victims, another lady that, I, that I've spoken to previously, her, her son was, was killed on the street in, in Belfast and it was around about the, the same time as the, the Stephen Lawrence murder in London. And she makes the case, you know, imagine a UK government going and telling Stephen Lawrence's mother that we're just going to draw a line under the troubles, that, that we're just going to stop this, that, that, that because of the passage of time, you can never see justice for your son. 
And these are points that I, th- I think th- that anybody can listen to and, and anybody will think, well, you know, that, that, that doesn't seem fair. You know, at the heart of this, there is a feeling that there is just an unfairness to, to this. You know, the justice system is based on, you know, this system of, of, of prosecutions. If there's a case to answer, you, you take this to court um, and you see how it goes and, and, and that to, to block that access um, and that hope um, for families is just simply wrong. To give you give you a flavour of um, flavour of some of the responses from politicians, there was a very heated debate in the House of Commons last week as the bill was being passed. The SDLP leader Colm Eastwood said it left him deeply ashamed that he was in this house when this legislation was passed. He said it was an affront to human rights. It was not immunity, it was impunity. The DUP MP Jim Shannon, he said the light of families, that candlelight held by families of the right to justice was being extinguished. Um, Alliance MP Stephen Farry said the bill was driven by the politics of the Conservative Party, not the needs of, of Northern Ireland. And I suppose broadly speaking to try and sum up this, and, and, and again, you know, the Irish government parties in Ireland, it's opposed to the US and Europe internationally. Um, but broadly speaking, those who oppose it say it will block bereaved families from ever receiving either truth or justice and it's in, it's in breach of the UK government's international human rights obligations. That conditional amnesty, what that does is that puts perpetrators ahead of, ahead of victims, that this is perpetrator-centred rather than victim-centred. And is that the key to why the bill has been strongly criticised by the Council of Europe and the UN High Commission for Human Rights? Yeah, um, again, broadly speaking, there there are two big concerns, and more than two certainly, but we we unpick two big concerns um, from from the from the international community. One is that it's it's in breach of the UK government's international human rights obligations. Concerns there are around the amnesty. Um, but they're also about the and, and the feeling there again. It's it's about handing the part to perpetrators rather than victims, um, and that it's designed to protect former British soldiers. And the 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 other the concern in this, in terms of the the international human rights obligations, is that the UK government is required to have an effective investigative mechanisms. And the feeling internationally is that this does not amount to an effective investigative mechanism. I mean, if the Irish government has been mooted, and again, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this, if they take an interstate case, you would expect that these would be the two areas that this would focus on. And I think also worth throwing in there, I mean, the reaction from, from the US often as well fo- focuses on the, the more long-term trends on, on peace, on, on the Good Friday Agreement, on upholding that and, and the concerns um, from very significant sections of opinion in the US is that this bill simply does not do that. Influential Congressman Richie Neal said again last week, just in the wake of the passage of this bill, that it represents a fundamental shift on the issue of the troubles, that victims deserve truth, transparency and justice, and this bill inhibits this from coming to fruition. We'll be back with Freya McClemens after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So the bill passed its final legal hurdle in the House of Commons last week. This week, it'll go to the House of Lords. But the way the UK system works, it's expected to pass through and into law. Now, what can its opponents do to prevent it from being signed into law? Or can they? Can they do anything? Well, in theory, there's still time to prevent it from being um, from passing into law. But effectively, what happened in the House of Commons last week, I mean, that was the last time that it was it, it, it was voted on. It is going to become law. As you said, it must go back again to the House of Lords. But the, the, the parliamentary convention is that the Lords will not oppose this at, at this stage. Essentially, there's been a bit of ping pong. It's gone to the Lords. They've tried to, they have inserted amendments a couple of times already. That, that has gone back to the Commons. Um, so it's now at the stage where the convention is that the Lords will allow this to pass because there is a majority in, in the House of Commons um, and they, they will not block that. So so assuming that goes ahead and that's this week, it will then proceed to receive royal assent, so the agreement of, of the monarch, and at that point it becomes law. Now, it's not set in stone at this stage. Um, it was always clear that there would be legal challenge, so we expect those in the domestic courts. In fact, we had the first legal challenge went in last week, um, but also in Europe. Um, and a key question at the moment is whether Ireland will take this interstate case against the UK over its concerns that the bill breaches international human rights obligations. So it will be taking the UK government to the European Court of Human Rights. What has the Irish government said about that so far? Well, it's being considered... Um, the Taoiseach said last week that he has sought legal advice from the Attorney General. The expectation is a decision will be made within weeks. Now, I, I spoke last week um, to Professor Kieran McAvoy from Queen's University Belfast, who has much greater expertise in these legal matters than, than I do. And his view was actually that this was a political rather than a legal judgment, that the legal position is clear enough. The Irish government have an absolute right to take the British government to court on this. And there is actually precedent. I mean, the Irish government did this previously in regard to, 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 to claims of torture. Um, and his view was that if the state was to take a case, he thought the government had two very strong legal arguments, very strong, it was the words he used. One was around the, the conditional amnesty and the other around that requirement for a state to have effective investigative mechanisms. And he said he would be astonished if what was set out in the bill in regard to these would be found to be lawful. So any of these legal cases could prompt changes to the bill. My understanding is the UK government is aware that the next stage will actually involve scoping out where the bill stands legally, what the parameters of this are. The other way that it could be changed um, is if the Labour government win the next general election in the UK. Autumn 2024, so a year and a bit to go, but Labour has, has said, and they restated this again last week, that if it is in power, it will repeal the bill. So that could be a quicker way. So again, not set in stone yet. Now, relations between Britain and Ireland have been severely damaged, I think, in years since the Brexit vote, particularly, and I suppose particularly under Boris Johnson. But they seem to be, I suppose, on a better footing, you know, lately since Rishi Sunak became prime minister. What does the passing of the bill do to that relationship? 
I think things are better than they were, but they're still not where they were um, at, at, at one point. You know, the Irish government has been very clear and indeed have all Irish parties, they, they oppose they oppose it. Um, the government has repeatedly outlined its opposition to ask the UK to think again, to scrap the bill. Um, so from an Irish point of view, the UK government hasn't listened. So, I mean, is this going to help UK-Irish relations? Of course it isn't. Um, to an extent, it depends on what Ireland does now. If it does take an interstate case again, not going to improve those relations. But I think going back to what I said about it being a political rather than a legal judgment, the government also has to weigh up the implications of not taking a case. So there are other dynamics at, at play here other than just that UK-Irish re- relations. And if we, you know, leaving aside, you know, the moral imperative that you, you could argue exists for the, the government to do something, just talking in, in purely political terms, the government's been a vocal defender of victims and their families throughout this process. So if it doesn't step up to the plate here and there have been calls for it to do precisely that, to step up to the plate, there's going to be a lot of people on both sides of the border who don't forget this. They're going to feel let down by, by the government. Um, and also, I mean, with, with an eye to the next general election in Ireland, you would imagine that this is something that Sinn Féin in government would do pretty quickly. So does the government really want to leave this as a stick to be beaten with during the, the election campaign? And again, if you add in the the views already expressed by the United Nations, by the Council of Europe about the concerns of human rights, you would imagine that an interstate case would land in a pretty, you know, it would, it would receive a pretty favourable hearing in the European Court of Human Rights, but but also internationally. So I think one of the things the Irish government will be weighing up is actually, would it be worse not to do this? As I said, leaving aside moral imperative that you can argue, you know, this is the right thing to do. In the very long list of institutions, groups that are against this bill, I was struck by a letter, a joint letter written a while ago to the Financial Times in the UK. It was written by the Catholic Church and the Church of Ireland, Archbishops of Armagh. And they said jointly that the bill will deepen division and further demoralise all but a tiny minority of those it purports to help. Were they right? What what impact do you think this will have more broadly in Northern Ireland? Yeah, I, I think they're absolutely right. And again, the, the fact that the two bishops... Um, spoke spoke out like this, spoke out jointly. We're speaking deliberately, trying to speak to the British government there. I, I, th- I think just on, on underlines that um, and, and underlines everything we've said about the extent of, of, of the opposition to this. I mean, m- more broadly, what does this do? I think it perpetuates the harm of the past. Uh, it perpetuates divisions. Um, it prevents relatives, victims, survivors from finding some measure of closure and from moving on. It prevents society from moving on, to, to be perfectly honest. I mean, some of these people... They have been fighting for more than 50 years. I know them. I have spoken to them. I have interviewed. You know, this has become their their lives. You know, there are people who were 20 years old or 19 years old when their brother was was shot dead or, or you know, something similar happened. You know, they're now pensioners. They are tired. They, they, they want to stop this fight, but they feel they have to fight on. And I think, I mean, we've been reflecting this year on the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, and I reread it around the time of the anniversary and legacy, this concept of legacy, by which we we mean, how do we deal with the consequences of the troubles and with those outworkings? It wasn't in the Good Friday game because it wasn't a concept then because we were still in it. But now it's something that bedevils 
everything in terms of how we try and deal with the present, how we try and deal with move forward. And I mean, this idea of, you know, can you ever deal with the past? It's a massive question. I wouldn't presume to say how you might even approach that. But I think what is really clear is that something which is so vehemently opposed pretty much across the board is not how you deal with this and that this is only going to make things worse. Thanks very much, Freya. Thank you, Bernice. That's it for today. My thanks to Freya McClemens and Emmett McConomy. For more Irish Times journalism, including coverage of the Northern Ireland Legacy Bill, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.